Before we get started, I have to tell you about another podcast I love. It's called 20,000 Hertz, and it tells the stories behind the world's most recognisable and interesting sounds. Things like how the sound of slot machines force you to keep playing. Or what the story is behind that THX deep note that you always hear at the cinema. Or could your phone be spying on you through your microphone? Search for 20,000 Hertz, which is all spelled out without numbers in your favourite podcast player. The headline on the other major news story today, to which we intend to devote some time, is very simple. Hello, Dolly. It's a very long time since a science story on Sunday made such waves on Monday, but with good reason. Dolly is the name of the first mammal, yes, a sheep, ever to be born as the result of cloning. Cloned from an adult sheep in a laboratory. Dolly is doing fine, thank you. She is seven months old already. And from the scientific community to the water cooler, we human beings have had a future, or seen a future at least, that had only been imagined up until now. If a lamb, why not a man? Welcome to Moonshot, I'm Christopher Lawson. And I'm Andrew Moon. On this episode of Moonshot, we're taking a deeper look at cloning. You just heard Peter Jennings, the American ABC news anchor from 1997. He and the rest of the world were shocked to discover that scientists at the Roslyn Institute at the University of Edinburgh had successfully cloned a sheep called Dolly. The idea that a mammal could be cloned was something most people believed to be scientifically impossible, and the impact that Dolly had was huge. Across the world, people struggled to deal with this idea that cloned animals could become the norm. Here's the ethical question. I mean, people are going to be cloned just for their tissues and their organs. You get old, then you grow a new guy out of yourself, and then just take your brain out and throw it in the new body. Are we acting more like the creator than creatures? Are we trying to play the role of God in all this, in designing who we are and what we are? And there was a, you know, a real debate that arose out of that. But what, what mainly took place in that debate was a lot of horror about the idea of human reproductive cloning. This is Russell Blackford, a philosopher at the University of Newcastle, Australia. The arguments weren't so much about cloning non-human animals. I mean, there, you know, there are some arguments about that, but, but they are minor in the scheme of things. Now it seems that one day scientists could take a single cell from a more sophisticated creature, say like me, pull out my DNA, stick it in a new cell, plant the cell in a womb, and nine months later, out would come a genetic copy of me, a clone. That was Robert Krulwich, one of the hosts of Radiolab. Back in 1999, he put together a show for ABC that looked at all the concern developing around whether human cloning could happen. Now remember, that was 20 years ago, the technology had just been developed, and yet people were so sure that humans would be next. The problem was, the general public didn't know enough about the actual science. In the scientific world, it was actually more of a next step accomplishment in some ways. But in the popular press, this meant that if Dolly was possible, maybe you could make an army of whoever your worst enemy is. That was David Scadden, the co-director of the Harvard Stem Cell Institute, talking with the New York Times in 2013. They were looking at the impact Dolly had on both the scientific community and people in general. The idea that human cloning was the next step quickly overshadowed the scientific potential of what Dolly was. And this outrage felt by the public led to some hasty decisions by the government. 
Most notably, Bill Clinton's ban on federal funds being used for any form of human cloning. Our administration believes that there are loopholes that could allow the cloning of human beings if, such, if the technology were developed. Therefore, today I am issuing a directive that bans the use of any federal funds for any cloning of human beings. Some people may think that that's a pretty fair call, that no government should be funding any form of cloning. But Blake Russell, president and partner of Viagen Pets and Equine, says that Dolly was a scientific development that many people just didn't understand. You know, the cloning of Dolly the sheep was an amazing breakthrough, um, very fascinating, but it created um, a, a whole lot of misinformation, right, at the same time. And there's a lot of mythology out there that, you know, Dolly died when she was seven years old and and immediately um, no one really bothered understanding um, the medical reasons for why she died, right? The the world just assumed she died young because she was a clone, which was absolutely not not true. She actually had pneumonia um, and, and died. And, and there were a number of things that uh, could have been done to deal with that. But the, the fact that she died um, created a lot of negative mythology ar- around cloning, and that might be the largest. Which brings us to the fundamental question, should we be applauding a mind-boggling scientific breakthrough or be nervous about where it might lead us? Since Dolly, cloning has become a booming business. But more on that right after a word from our sponsors. Welcome back to Moonshot, I'm Christopher Lawson, and before the break we were looking at Dolly the sheep and the impact she had on the world. Dolly became the poster animal for cloning, but unlike in science fiction, creating a clone is not a simple process. Clones can think creatively. You will find that they are immensely superior to droids. The idea of cloning connotates visions of space-age labs with specimens suspended in glass containers. You mentioned growth acceleration. Oh yes, it's essential. Otherwise a mature clone would take a lifetime to grow. Now we can do it in half the time. But the reality is something very different. Ron Gillespie, the co-founder and president of Perpetuate, says that most people don't really understand the specifics of the science. There's only certain kinds of cells that can be used to clone. They're called uh, undifferentiated cells. And these com- are, comprise or contain a complete set of the, of the chromosomes. Um, most cells are differentiated. In other words, if you would take liver tissue and you tried to clone using liver tissue, you'd only get more liver cells. You wouldn't get the whole individual. So we know cloning exists in the realm of sci-fi, but where does the concept actually come from? Well, it turns out it all began back in 1891. German scientist Hans Adolf Edward Driesch discovered that by separating sea urchin embryos at the two-cell stage, each individual cell could develop into an adult creature. Then, four years later in 1895, French biologist Yves Delage wrote about the idea of nuclear transplantation. He proposed that an egg nucleus, the part of the cell that contains the genetic information, could be replaced with another egg's nucleus and the egg would still develop into a live animal. Fast forward another 40 years and in 1938, Hans Spiemann, a German embryologist, suggested that an egg nucleus could in fact be replaced with the nucleus of a somatic cell, that is, any cell other than a reproductive cell. 
This theory meant that the transplantation wasn't just restricted to egg cells. Then in 1952, Robert Briggs and Thomas King successfully cloned a tadpole. Using Hans Spiemann's theory, Briggs and King transplanted the nucleus from a tadpole embryo to an unfertilized frog egg. And they actually did grow some clones, although the few frogs which did grow had abnormalities. And then in 1958, John Gurdon successfully cloned a frog using the process Briggs and King had refined. But it wasn't until the mid-1970s that it really started to get into cloning mammals. And in 1984, Dr. Steen Willardson at the Institute of Animal Physiology at Cambridge cloned the first mammal, a sheep. And there were a few more clones as well before Dolly. But it was Dolly who showed that it was possible to take a clone from an adult cell and produce an exact replica. And that's why she sparked a lot of public discussion. Your clones, your copies of people out here in the world. What? Clones? What? Copies? What are you talking Why? about? Why? Some hag trophy wife needs new skin for a facelift or one of them gets sick and they need a new part. They, they take it from you. Unlike the movie The Island, scientists are still a long way from human cloning. That's if it ever happens at all. Cloning is a very complex and difficult science. To start with, there are three different types of cloning. Gene cloning, reproductive cloning, and therapeutic cloning. Gene cloning is the process of producing copies of genes or segments of DNA. Reproductive cloning is the process that you go through to create an entire animal. And therapeutic cloning is very similar to reproductive cloning. It uses embryonic stem cells with the aim to create replacement tissue for diseased or injured cells. But in the end, it only exists in a lab. Reproductive cloning uses somatic cell nuclear transfer, or SCNT. A somatic cell is any cell in a living creature other than the reproductive cell. In order to clone, you need female eggs. Or eggs, I guess it would be by definition from a female you need eggs, and you have to have an egg that you then enucleate. You remove all the, the chromosomes from that egg, and then you remove the, the chromosomes from the cell that you want to, to, to use to clone the animal, and you, you transfer it. And then, ironically, you strike it with a shot of electricity, and it starts to multiply. And, and, and then you have the, the you know, the one cell and then the two cell and then the four cell, 16 cell embryos, and you transfer those to, to the surrogate mother. The difficulty with cloning is that you must have eggs from the same species as the animal that you want to clone. And that means we won't be going back and trying to bring mammoths or dinosaurs back from the dead anytime soon. If you try to begin to work with some of these exotic animals like the rhinoceros, which we've talked about, uh, you know, you don't have enough of them. You don't have, uh, you can save their cells, but where are you going to get the eggs? Um, and how are you going to handle those animals? Um, you know, you, you, elephants, I mean, any of these, these things, uh, you know, the, we, we, what we know about are the animals that we, we, we have the greatest populations and are used to the greatest extent, commercial animals such as cattle and pigs and so forth. And just like IVF, Reproductive cloning has the same risks. There are no guarantees the embryos will survive in the surrogate mother. It took 277 attempts to create Dolly the sheep. But since 1997, the science and technology has improved. Scientists now have access to more information and can transfer cells with more precision. 
The cloning of animals has become a commercial enterprise. In 1997, another animal was successfully cloned, this time a bull called Gene. Gene was created by the American Breeder Service from the stem cells of a 30-day-old calf fetus. Gene was also the complete opposite of Dolly, who was created from a single mammary cell from a six-year-old ewe. The reason you can't clone, or the reason it's difficult to clone animals, is species-specific and also based on knowledge. The reason we did what we did with the cow was because we knew more about her reproductive system than you did any other animal because we'd been involved with artificial insemination, with embryo collection, with embryo insemination, uh, all kinds of other forms. And so we knew as much as there was. The only animal that we may know more about the reproductive system than the cow is ourselves. The reality of cloned cattle has become so commonplace that the American Food and Drug Administration released a fact sheet called A Primer on Cloning and its Use in Livestock Operations. The FDA also conducted an independent risk assessment, which found that meat and milk from cattle, swine and goat clones is as safe as food that we eat from those species now. And while some of us might squirm about the idea of consuming cloned animals, Others see it as a vital part of an industry that depends on breeding. When we figured out how to clone the bull or clone the the calf, we then were able to begin to multiply uh, the the number of cows. So, So we're sitting on this technology that now can be used to to greatly increase the number of animals that we want, to save animals through genetic preservation, to save their their semen, to save... um, the cells themselves. So when I look at this, I look at, you know, uh, animal cloning as, as the ultimate breeding technology. And therein lies its value and its future when you combine it now with, with what else is going on in the genetic field. What many people don't realise, but all farmers and breeders know, is that there is a really huge market for genetically elite animals in the livestock industry. For instance, say you have a bull that produces incredibly good offspring. There's a market for preserving what makes that bull special. And in racing, perhaps you have a champion horse that wins every single race. There's a huge incentive to preserve that genetic material. This is Blake Russell again from Viagen. So historically, uh, we cloned, we really started the business around livestock and horses. And so 15 years ago, um, the focus of the Viagen business was cattle pigs, and horses. And the primary thing that the marketplace were looking for from us was, I have an elite animal, an elite genotype, whether that was um, an animal that was known for their elite performance or known for their elite breeding. And how do I get more of those, right? I can spend an entire lifetime um, and create this um, unique elite breeding bull. um, But now he's in Australia um, how do I get um, uh, effectively get doses of that bull in other parts of the world? And so cloning was a technology that allowed them to uh, disseminate uh, those genes. For example, there are, there are um, you know, full industries built around how do you bring genetic progress to certain species of livestock and then how you disseminate that effectively around the world. And cloning was seen as another very powerful tool. In fact, you know, previously you would ship semen or you would ship offspring, or in some species, you're able to ship embryos. But prior to cloning, there was no way to actually produce the exact same genotype and then use that for breeding, uh, which opens up the entire 
toolbox of breeding technologies. One country that has embraced cloning is Argentina. It's the polo capital of the world known for its superior polo horses and now its superior clones. This progressive sport has no restrictions on what breed of horse polo players can ride, which has created an already successful breeding industry. Veterinarian Christian Sporletter of Genetech Genetics Laboratory says a batch of top quality sperm costs between one and ten thousand US dollars, depending on the stallion's lineage. And an embryo can fetch up to twenty thousand dollars. One player who has championed their use is Adolfo Cambiasso. He also happens to be the best player in the world and has been for the last 20 years. Now, competitive players usually change horses throughout a single game. And in 2013, Adolfo was the first player to ride a cloned horse in the Argentinian Polo Triple Crown. Then at a match in 2016, all six of Adolfo's horses were clones. Not only has Adolfo championed their idea, he's also monetized it. Crestview Genetics, an equine cloning lab, was founded by Alan Meeker and is co-owned by Adolfo. At Crestview Genetics, the team can create up to 100 clones a year, but they never sell them. Instead, they mate the clones with champion horses and then sell the offspring. One foal can cost up to $250,000. And in an interview for 60 Minutes America, Adolfo talked about how he sees clones as the future of polo. There are people who object to cloning on religious grounds or on moral grounds. So what is the answer when people challenge you? When they say, man should not be doing this because of these difficult spiritual questions. I I don't see it wrong. To be honest, I'm just doing something for to improve my game, my sport, and I think uh, the Quartetiras it did improve my game, my sport, and I'm not going farther than that. But is there an unfair advantage in terms of the game, in terms of the sport? No, because everybody is able to clone. Now everybody is kind of trying to start cloning. Guataterra is Adolfo's prized polo pony, who has been awarded the title of the best polo horse in history. And she has been cloned 14 times, with plans for many more. But one thing that isn't talked about in the glitz and glamour of cloning is the somewhat gruesome reality that goes into actually creating the clones. With a cow, we go to the slaughterhouse. We take the uteruses from, from heifers that have just been slaughtered, and we have hundreds of, of eggs um, with with cats we can uh, cats go into heat once a month and they produce 50 to 100 eggs per per cycle uh, most of these animals cycle regularly and produce a lot of eggs dogs on average may not cycle more than once a year and you never know when it's going to happen and therefore when you try to collect it you're, you're faced with not knowing when it's going to happen, not being able to collect it at that point. And when you do, it's not in the uterus. It's in an oviduct that's off the sides of the uterus. And there's like 10 or 20 there. Um, so we're, we, that's a real problem, obviously, with dogs. And while dogs are one of the more difficult animals to clone, they are also the most popular. But what does that popularity mean for cloning as an industry? And should we really be cloning our pets? More on that after a word from our sponsors.
Barbara Streisand's decision to clone her dog is rekindling the debate over cloning pets. The legendary star just revealed to Variety that two of her new dogs, Miss Violet and Miss Scarlet, are actually clones of her beloved Samantha, who died last year at age 14. Since 1997, the production and business of cloning animals has become a lucrative industry. When the Roslyn Institute created Dolly, they also made a patent portfolio for the technology. And there is only one company that has the exclusive global license, Viagen Pets and Equine. They also happen to be the company behind Barbara Streisand's two cloned puppies. When Miss Streisand decided to um, talk about her um, her pups, I, I think it was completely unscripted. I think she happened to have, um, was doing an interview um, in her home and, and the puppies were there enjoying life and, and it came up and there they are. And it was quite good for us because the message then got out to a lot of readers um, and they could actually see puppies there and it caused them to inquire and it was very good for, very good for our visibility. When Barbara Streisand announced that two of her dogs were in fact clones, people began asking themselves, should I clone my pet? Well, I think, there's, I think there are serious issues, ethical issues about cloning to start with. Um, so I think that's problem, a problem. Um, but anyone who's prepared to spend $50,000 has far too much money as far as I'm concerned. Clone my dog. I wish I had. She died. Yes, probably if I could have. If the technology's there? I don't know. It, I, I do that um, on the basis of just being really selfish and really brash and everything. But at the same time, you know, like we should also move on, like, and maybe adopt, you know, rescued animals too. You know, I think I think cloning an animal is like a very like luxurious, high-end kind of thing, not something that should be accessible, I suppose. To get an identical twin of your favourite pet that you're deeply attached to may sound appealing, but that clone won't come cheap. For uh healthy, veterinary-inspected, genetically verified kitten that's eight weeks old um, and ready for delivery. Um, that's $25,000 US dollars. Um, for a puppy, it's $50,000 US dollars. And for a horse, and that foal would be 60 days of age, veterinary-inspected, healthy, um, still nursing on its mother. So where you wean puppies and kittens at eight weeks of age traditionally Foals typically aren't weaned until they're five to six months of age. So we actually deliver the surrogate mother with the foal. Um, and then the surrogate can be sent back to us unless she leaves the country. And they're $85,000. Okay, say you are someone who has all the cash and the desire to clone your prized pet. What exactly do you get for all that money? When you think about what might I expect, I'm going to receive an identical twin, but it's separated in time. And, and we all know that what we become, our phenotype, is a blend of our genetics and our environment. Um, and so this identical twin, even though it will share a genotype with that original donor, it is going to come through a different environment. But what you expect is, um, I hope to extend the relationship that I had with this really um, unique individual. A lot of times that individual, maybe uh, that, that dog came from a shelter, um, or I made a decision to spay that dog in the past, therefore I can't transfer part of their genetics into future generations. In terms of, of well, the emotive side of that and all the things that might drive um, dog and cat cloning, we encourage them to look into the, what are the things that our clients are saying? Um, what experiences can the clients share that might resonate um, with, 
with the customer. And so we, we do um, encourage those conversations because there's a lot of this that, uh, again, you know, you certainly, all that I can guarantee is that it's DNA verified to be a match to the original. So it is an identical twin and there's a third party DNA test to confirm that that is the case. Viagen may have the exclusive license for the Roslyn cloning portfolio, but there are other companies that create clones. One biotech lab that has caused some controversy is the South Korean dog cloning company Suam Biotech. In 2018, the company announced that it had successfully cloned the world's smallest living dog, Miracle Millie, 49 times. In an interview with Vanity Fair, the director of Suam said they made 49 because they were curious about the smallness. The lab wanted to test if the size would transfer, which it didn't. All 49 clones were bigger than the original. Reproductive cloning, the technique used to create mammals, is very similar to IVF and also has the same risks. Like IVF, to increase the odds of a successful birth, multiple embryos are implanted into the surrogate mother, which gives you a fairly high probability that you may not end up with just one clone, which begs the question, what happens to the rest? Cats and dogs are litter species. Um, And so for an effective pregnancy, um, they do need to carry typically more than one pup or kitten in order for them, the surrogate, to uh, um, properly develop and carry that pregnancy and then to have the proper impulse for parturition at the time of birth. And so cloned litters are typically small. So they're one two or three puppies or kittens, and the client gets um, each of those um, kittens are all provided at the one price. There's no additional fee if there's extras. Um, Should the client um, not um, need all three, um, we actually have a waiting list of vetted um, homes that have said, um, you know, they typically break into three or four categories of type of dog, but should someone um, not be able to take all of their animals, we actually contractually commit to place those animals in a vetted forever home. Um, And we have a waiting list of people willing um, to take those on. As you might imagine, these are typically quite exceptional animals that someone's chosen to go through this process and clone. Um, And so it's it's something we're, we're able to home them easily. I will say it's very rare um, that that the client doesn't take all of the puppies or kittens. A great example of what we were just talking about is I have a cloned stallion on my ranch, and I also have a cloned gelding um, on my ranch. Um, and uh, both of those guys are key parts of uh, of our operation. So the cloned gelding was um, a, a client out of the country, um, cloned a very special horse. And um, in the case of horses, um, sometimes we'll do two Um, embryo transfers, just in case it takes a year to gestate a foal. Um, So just in case one of them um, doesn't produce a pregnancy, um, then we'll actually do two transfers. And in that case, we actually produced an extra foal. And given that the client lived out of the country, he asked me if I would be willing to uh, adopt um, that um, cloned horse. And I've done so. And he's a terrific part of my family. But We've cloned about 500 horses, and and that's one of, of only two or three that I that I can think of offhand that uh, the clients haven't haven't taken. The fact that extra clones are often made is a real ethical concern, and certainly something to consider if human cloning ever does happen. 
But, and a big but, human cloning is not something that most companies or governments will allow. And the idea of human cloning is something we don't spend seconds thinking about. Um, it, it gets asked us often, and, and our typical approach to that is to just try to bring that back into the discussion around what we do, what we know, and where we're focused and the broader question around human cloning, that's really something for society to think through as a whole. I mean, I, I have zero interest um, in anyone trying to advance human cloning. That I don't see the reasons um, for that and have no interest in that space. I'm totally opposed to it. Um, but, uh, but does that mean then um, that you should not go ahead? I mean, this is a... Uh, you know, this is a trade-off. Does that mean then you you don't go forward with this technology and use it to to solve other problems? I, for, I you know, for example, I see cloning being used to produce human proteins. I also think that you can clone, you know, organs using, in particular, it looks like pigs because of the size of the pigs and the size of their organs. I don't know why you shouldn't be cloning you know, human organs to replace these organs that are in great demand. The greatest concern is about the possibility of reproductive cloning. That is actually using cloning as a technology for creating babies, right? For, for, for creating babies that have essentially the same DNA as an adult human donor. The, the idea that you'd use cloning actually for making babies raises all sorts of issues, uh, safety issues, of course. You know, if, if we did this, would we produce babies with congenital abnormalities? Well, the answer is almost certainly yes. So that's a very good reason not to do it at the moment. In 2008, Dr Samuel Wood and Dr Andrew French announced that they were the first scientists to clone five human embryos using somatic cell nuclear transfer. But these were just early-stage embryos known as blastocysts. This means that the embryo was only a bunch of cells. The aim of the experiment was to create cloned stem cells for therapeutic use, but the embryos were destroyed in the process of checking the DNA. The idea that Russell Blackford talks about, creating clones with congenital abnormalities, is something that is happening with macaque monkeys. After two of these monkeys were successfully cloned at the start of 2018, scientists at China's Institute of Neuroscience created five macaque clones for the purpose of researching circadian rhythm disorders. The original was a gene-edited monkey most prone to the disorder, which is associated with depression, sleep problems, and Alzheimer's disease. Now, the clones were created with the specific purpose of making them more susceptible to mental illness. The study's author says the aim was to see how these afflictions occurred and understand how to treat them. China Daily, the state-owned outlet, said the clones were already showing signs of negative behaviour. Things like high levels of anxiety, schizophrenia and depression. A video was even released of the five monkeys in an incubator. One is screeching and clutching at another, and one is standing in the corner holding its head in silence. And some speculate that by cloning a monkey, humans won't be that far behind. But it seems that humans have an inbuilt predisposition against cloning. When French and Wood created human blastocyst clones, they discovered that donated egg cells had to be used within two hours of harvesting. Otherwise, they were no longer viable. 
and that's a pretty small window for making the process work, and add to that the increased complexity that humans have over any animal species. So despite all of this concern over whether cloning will end up creating a Star Wars-like army, we can safely appreciate that the science is nowhere near that yet, and we're only able to clone animals, and the idea of cloning humans is simply not on most people's radar. But cloning of animals is something that can be used to extend the connection people have with their pets, and can be used to prevent some animals from extinction. And Blake Russell says that's really what it's all about. When I look at what we're doing in horses, dogs and cats, it's been amazing. The joy, the, the service, the, the, the things that it's brought um, in my 15-year time gives us a tremendous amount of pride and, and I feel really terrific about. And, and that's unique to its use in animals. This episode of Moonshot was hosted and edited by me, Christopher Lawson, along with Andrew Moon. Research and scripting by Jasmine Mee Lee. Additional production by Mahalia Carter. Our theme music is by Breakmaster Cylinder, and other music in this episode came from Blue Dot Sessions. And our artwork is by Andrew Millist. If you enjoyed the show, make sure you jump into your favourite podcast app and leave us a five-star review. And join us again next time for another look at the future right here on Moonshot. Before we go, I just wanted to remind you to subscribe to 20,000 Hertz. It's a fantastic show about the things we all hear but don't really think about. They cover everything from the beeps and bloops on our devices to iconic sounds like the NBC chimes. Subscribe in your favourite podcast player by searching for 20,000 Hertz, which is all spelled out without any actual numbers. Again, that's 20,000 Hertz. I'll also put a link in the description.